0: So one of the long-running jokes in my family, in the Keeney household, is that my mom has never seen a movie all the way through. She's never seen a single movie all the way through. And I think this stems from the one time that I tried to get her to sit down with me and watch the very first Jurassic Park movie. I convinced her, hey, this is a great movie. We need to watch it together. And she ended up jumping over the couch in fear. I had to remind her that it was just fiction. It wasn't real. It was going to be okay. I'm eight. You're 40. Like, you know, it's going to be okay. All right? and that's the joke, right? I'm not even joking. She was terrified. I don't know if she'll ever forgive me for making her watch Jurassic Park. the, The reason we joke about it in my family is because when we finally get my mom to sit down and watch a movie with us, it is for sure almost like 30 to 45 minutes already into the movie right? And so that means at every couple seconds we hear questions like, uh, who is that? Or uh, what is he doing? Or why is he doing that? Or, or don't they like each other? Why are they fighting? Or, or hey, wasn't that guy in that other movie? Or wait a second, I thought that guy was married to that other person. Right, And on and on it goes until she just gives up starts scrolling on Facebook, or goes into the kitchen to make something to eat. Do any of you have someone like that in your life, who just always is late to the movies? Now, does it drive you nuts, or is it a joke in your family like it is in mine? I sometimes like to, to make a game out of these situations, especially with Christina. When she comes in, uh, in late to me watching a show on Netflix, like binge watching something, and she starts to ask questions, I like to say, well, well, who do you think that person is? Right? Now, this amuses me much more than it amuses her, but it is one way to cope with a late-arriver to your Netflix show or to a movie. And I say all of this because I think we all know that if we really, really want to enjoy and understand a movie or or a story or some kind of of play, we cannot walk into it halfway through, right? We can't walk into the story halfway through it and try to make sense of what is happening. And that is why we do not start reading a book right in the middle, right, Or, or go to a theater after intermission, right? Because if we do, we've missed the who, what, when, where, and how. Yet, here's the thing. Here's the tension, right? I would guess for many of us, our life to some degree, to one way or another, feels a lot like that. Showing up to a movie that is halfway through, it seems like we have stumbled into or fallen into a story and cannot always make sense of the characters that are around us. Right? We can't always uh, figure out the plot line or the plot points or how everything seems to fit together or how it's supposed to fit together. Right? At some point, we're not even sure uh, why our, our kids are, are making the, the dumb choices that they're making. Right? That's a real life example. Or or, or we cannot figure out uh, in our life why our our job keeps giving us more work to do without any extra help or compensation. We just can't figure out the reasoning. Or we can't figure out why our crazy neighbor uh, makes us absolutely nuts for no reason at all. I mean, it is April. They can take down the Christmas lights, right? It just doesn't make sense. There are a lot of confusing things in our stories, right, in our lives. And listen, and sometimes it feels like our stories are full of, of plot holes or plot twists rather than happily ever afters. And we're not alone in this, right? right there are, are stories going around all of us every day, going around us right now even, whether we are a part of them or simply observing those stories right you have a story right? your your coworkers your boss has a story um can you get the, you'll get yeah, thank you and your crazy neighbor has a story right? we all have individual stories and then there are our stories that we are a part of right our our, our communities right we have stories in our communities, right? Our families, our, our workplaces, and our church even has stories. But then there is yet, yet another story, right? a, a, a bigger story, a, a story that we're all a part of, and that is a story that, that when we realize that there's more to than just our little story, right? In fact, I would suggest that our Bibles, right, that's the rest of the story that contains the big picture, the big story, a story bigger than any of our stories or a story than we have ever heard before, a story that is true, but is also mysterious, a story that involves us and concerns us, but a story that is bigger than us. And that's the story that we're starting to look at over the next twelve weeks, from the beginning to the end. And at its core, right, this story, the Bible, is this. Go ahead and put that up there. At, at its core, a story about a passionate God on a relentless pursuit of those He loves. Right. That's that's the core of the big story. A story about a passionate God who is on a relentless pursuit of those he loves. It is the story of a creator who watches his creation fall apart and then sets forth a plan to fix it and to restore it. It is the, the story of a father who runs to rescue his children. And this story begins with God. And it ends with God. And we find ourselves somewhere in the middle. All right, now, I'm getting ahead of myself, right? as I, as I sometimes do. And so I'm going to slow, slow down for a bit. All right, today, we're going to start at the very beginning. Because if, if we understand how the story starts, then most importantly, we'll see who the story begins with. And then we can make sense of our story our lives with it, right? We'll, we'll not be lost in the middle of the story. We won't be like going into a movie in the middle of it or after intermission, right? We won't be lost in the middle still, still wondering why everything is happening around us or what is the, the plot points that we're missing. And look at it like this. This is what we're going to do. When we start at the beginning of any story, but especially the story, the Bible, right? When we start at the beginning, we will understand we are created by someone bigger than us for a story that is larger than our own. We're created for a story that is bigger than our own. So let's dive in. Now, if you received your book this week, the story, right? If you received your book this week, you received a note in it that showed you how you can follow along with this series. Now, if you did not receive a copy, do not worry. We have more copies coming, and that also means we do not have your correct address. So whether you're watching online or you're here in person, make sure we have your correct address if you did not receive a copy of the story. We're not going to go through every chapter, but as families, as individual families, we're asking you to read two to three chapters a week. And with the book, there's a guide there. You read two or three chapters a week, and we're going to see the overarching story, the story of God. We're going to see the big picture, from a 30,000-foot view of the story of God. And if you read this with your family, and I've made the challenge to all the, uh, the fathers, all the husbands, to lead your family in this, because if we do, we'll have read through the Bible together in 12 weeks. All right, we, will, we will see the beginning, we'll see the middle, and we'll see the end, and we'll see how all these parts play together. So if you don't have your copy, don't worry. Just let us know at the Info Center, or connect with us online. If you're watching, send us an email. And we'll get you a copy. It's not too late to get into it and to catch up. All right, so after you read, uh, each week, what we're going to do is I'm going to take a piece of what you read and kind of elaborate on it. So it's important to follow along, right? Each Sunday, I'm going to pull out a portion of the reading and take a deeper dive into it. And so if, if you were able to read the first three chapters this week, you know that there was a lot jammed into those chapters. And if we're honest, there was some uncomfortable stuff that was in there. There was a worldwide catastrophic flood because God was ticked at his creation. There was a, even a moment when, when God tells a man to go kill his son, right? Uh, Abraham and Isaac, we talked about that in our last series. So so all of a sudden, already, we are confused and confronted with huge questions as we begin to read, right? Like, why does God uh, allow bad things to happen to good people, right, if he's so good? Or or we might have been confronted with this question uh, this week. Uh, Did God really regret his making of humanity? And if so, how are we supposed to process that? Right? And why in the world would God ever ask somebody, anybody, to do something that we know today to be morally wrong? Right? Those are just some of the questions I had when reading the first three chapters. And isn't this typical for a lot of us when we are reading the Bible? Right? We sometimes come away with more questions than answers, so, so as we're reading this, as we're looking at this as families, as a church family, as individual families, what do we do when this happens? All right, what do we do when we have these questions? Well, right, what do we do when, when there's a section of Scripture that we don't understand or, or, or we just think that can't be right? Well, I think what's best is if we go back to the beginning. Let right, Let me explain. My favorite fictional character, my favorite fictional figure of all time is Sherlock Holmes, right? Now, if you want me to watch a movie or read a book, you put a touch of Sherlock Holmes in it and I am there digging into it, reading it, watching it. And one of the reasons that I love Sherlock Holmes so much is because of the aha moments that you get in every one of his stories, right? I mean, just when you think there are no answers, there's no way to solve the crime, there's, there's no way to figure out the mystery, it's just impossible, he uh, brings us back to the beginning and reminds us of every detail and, and clue that we missed along the way, right? He reminds us by pointing us toward the answer, right? He, he reminds us of all the things that had unfolded since the very beginning of the book or the very beginning of the episode or the very beginning of the movie that we've missed. So that's what I want to focus on today. Right? The, the beginning, right? The, the start of everything. The beginning of life as we know it. And let's face it, right? If we're honest, life as we know it right now, well, it's not always... Uh, that great we live in a reality riddled with questions about God's character and and his nature like the ones that we had in just the first three chapters of the story that we were reading this week right if God is is really good then why do bad things happen to good people or or why do we have those natural disasters or why are people uh, starving alone or abused we often attempt to wrestle with those questions without going back to the beginning, right? without the context. So what if instead of approaching the Bible like a, a disconnected series of statements or a, a collection of self-help stories, right? we read the Bible as a story, and that is what we want you to do with that book. And I don't mean just a fantasy, or a, a fictional story. I mean a real life, right? A, a real people, this stuff really happened story. A.W. Towser, one of my favorite theologians, once said this. He said, once said, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Right? What, what comes to mind, what comes to my mind when I think about God is the most important thing about us. There is nothing more crucial than a right understanding of God. Nothing more crucial than a right understanding of our Lord. Right? Every day we have fears, uh, concerns, and demands that distract our lives and compete for our attention right before long we begin to filter filter god's character and nature through uh, our own experiences right we look at his story through our own experiences creating a god in our image not making ourselves in his image so to understand our stories, to understand the story, right, we must look at God's story, and to understand his story, we must discover his character, who he is. All right, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first verse in the Bible, the very first book of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, and you can take those with you. Or if you're watching online and you want a Bible, just let us know and we can send you one. They are for you to study and to dig into. You can also go to the Foundry Burke app and download that. It takes a few seconds to click the Bible tab, and that is where we are today. Genesis 1-1, where it all begins, says this. says, in the beginning, God. (laughs) In the beginning, God. Right? That verse is so familiar to many of us that we tend to just rush right over it. We read it just like it's an introduction to something that is more important. But if we pause, right, if we take a moment and we pause and we reflect, we discover that our first, the, the very first four words of the Bible are loaded with meaning and purpose. Right? God. Listen, God is referenced over 30 times in the first chapter of the first book of the Bible alone. It's as if he's stating authoritatively that this is his story and that it is about him. That he's both the author and that he's also the protagonist. The story continues, right? And we learn, right, in the beginning, God created In the beginning, God created at the sound of our Lord's voice, galaxies were hurled into existence. Isn't that amazing? And he turned his attention to a single planet orbiting a star. That's how the story begins, right? On that planet, he created light, dark, water, uh, land, and animals. Uh, Look at this, right? Look at this go back. All right, look at this. The very first thing, right, the very first thing that we learn about God is that he is creator and that he is incredibly creative, right? That is how the story begins, right? At the beginning of the story, the, the author and the protagonist is both creator and that he is incredibly creative, Right, the, the diversity, the intensity, the complexity and simplicity of his work reveal a God of mystery, curiosity, wonder, and power. Right? The world around us points to a God who is innovative. The story begins with an innovative God, an imaginative God who would put the the Disney people to shame, right? A a playful God and an inspiring God, a powerful God. I mean, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God is continually acknowledged as the creator, right? The, The prophet Isaiah reminds us of this, right? God the Lord created... Right? Even in the Old Testament, the very beginning, right? God the Lord created the heavens and He stretched them out. right he, he created the earth and everything in it. He gives breath to everyone, life to everyone who walks the earth. Now at the, the end of the Bible, we read in Revelation this. It says, "You are worthy.") <laughs> At the very end, it says, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For you created, you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Look, <laughs> we also learn that God is still, right? He is still in the business of creating today. Right? The, the psalmist, the songwriter, he wrote this in Psalms 51:10, "Create, create in me a clean heart, O God, Renew a loyal spirit within me." Create, right? Paul in the New Testament, he affirms the church, the local church in Ephesus with this. He says this in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, "For we are God's masterpiece." God made you into a masterpiece, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew, a new creation in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He has planned for us long ago. Listen, God, God is creator, and God also declares in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5: And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. <laughs> right? At the very end of the Bible, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Simply, simply put, the story begins like this. Look, God is creator. Long story short, the long story short version is God is creator. Now, I do not have a bunch of time to get into all the theories and the time frames and the ideas about creation of the world. Right? I could preach a weeks long sermon on those, but just know this, here at the Foundry Church we believe that God created the earth. Period. Right? Full stop, God did it. He created the earth. How did he do it? Well, let's just say he is God, Right? So he did it however he wanted to. How he created, we believe, is not a heaven and hell issue. Just believing that he did is enough for us. He created the world, right? That's what's so amazing. Now, if you want more in-depth information on this, if some of your questions while reading this as a family sparked some questions, there's resources at our info center. If you're watching online, just let us know, and we can send you those resources. Right? God is a creator. He is a creative designer, an engineer, an architect. Right? Five times he spoke the elements of the world and life into existence. He stepped back from his work, examined it, and he declared that it was good. Right? So, so put this up here now. Right? God is a creator and what he creates is good. (laughs) Long story short, God is a creator and what he creates is good. (laughs) In the beginning, a good God created a good world to declare how good he is. That's where the story starts. He shows us that he is a creator and that he is good. Right before evil entered the world before suffering scarred mankind before things broke everything was good. Right that is how it began with the author's intent with the protagonist's story. The goodness of God is an attribute that encompasses Right? The goodness of God is an attribute, a characteristic of our Lord, of our God, that encompasses so many of his other characteristics. Right? There is a, a tendency for us to question his goodness based on what we see around us. Isn't there? Right? We, we judge God based on how well things are happening in our lives or just in the world in general. We judge God for things we consider his fault. Right? We accuse him for, for what appears wrong and we place him on trial to determine if he's good or not, to determine his goodness. However, right, God is not good because he does good things. Right? God is not good because he does good things. Rather, everything God does is good because goodness is at the root of his character. Right? That's where his character grows from. That's, that's who he is. It's at the root of what he does. Right? So Genesis 1, right? Genesis 1 tells us that God is creator and that he is good. That God is creator and that he is good. Right? And so the, the opening chapter of Genesis, what we read this week, what we're looking at now, reveals also a third dimension of God's character. So he's, he's creator, right? The long story short, he's creator. He, he's good. He's a good creator. And look at this. He is relational, right? He is relational. That's what we're learning in those first three chapters, right? God states in Genesis 1, 26, right? In your Bibles, look at verse 26. It says this. Then God said, let us, let us. Make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And Now notice, right there, notice the pronouns that are used. Right? Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Right? God refers to himself in the plural sense, right? as God the Father, uh, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They exist together as three distinct persons who walk together in inseparable unity. Right? God, right, we're learning, is re- inherently relational. He's about relationship. Now, there's a theological word for this idea, and it's called the Trinity, right? Uh, the Trinity, right? The, the Trinity is all three in one, but also distinct, right? Confused, right? <laughs> right? Three in one, but also distinct. We're confused, right? We could simplify it. We could simplify it and attempt to give characteristics to each, but the reality is, is that, that this is one of those mystery, the mysterious aspects of God that go beyond our brain cells. Right? And the closest thing that we have is an egg. Right? You have an egg shell, you have a yolk, you have an egg white. Right? They're all egg, but they're all different. This right? is the closest we can get. All three now, of the Trinity, not the egg, were present and active in the creation story. I mean, look, right? Genesis 1-2, like we read this week, tells us that the Holy Spirit hovered over the chaos of creation as it was being formed. Verse 3 shows a father who speaks order into creation. And then in John 1, which we didn't read, tells us that nothing was made except by the Son, through through God the Son. Right? God exists in perfect community. In a perfect community of love, and love always seeks to expand its communion. Right? So so what did he do? Right? He created human beings with a hardwiring for relationships, right? When God looked at man and woman, he put his personal mark on them and declared that it was very good. Very good, right? Creation was already good, but humanity came onto the scene. He writes us into the story, and creation became now very personal to God, right? The the best part of creation was that that man and woman enjoyed the unobstructed and unhindered presence of God, right? Look at this. God wants us to be in a good relationship with him, and he wants us to be in a good relationship with one another, Right, we we're learning in this long story, short version, that God wants us to be in a good relationship with him, and he wants us to be in a good relationship with one another. Right, the, the beginning of the story helps us understand that God is creator. Right, number one, God is creator, that he is good, and that he is relational. And up to this point, like we said, everything is good. God and the Trinity are good, and our relationship with him is good. And it took all of three chapters in our Bible to screw everything up, right? God had literally given Adam and Eve everything, you know, what's your favorite fruit, right? It was there. They had it, right? What's your favorite vegetable? We don't like those, but they had them, right? They literally had everything at their fingertips. And they also had a choice. God loves us. He gave, gave us some free will, right? He also, they also had a choice. Like every character in every great story, there was a choice to make. Right? Would they choose the tree of life or the, the tree of knowledge and good and evil? Would they choose God's story for their own? Or would they choose to forge their life just on themselves and not God? Would they choose life or death? Would they choose the blue pill or the red pill? Well, they made a choice. Right? They made a choice, and let's just say that it wasn't the right choice. It wasn't a good choice. But the, the response, right, the response to this poor choice of these first humans, shows us and and teaches us. This is what's amazing about scripture, about what we're reading, right? It shows us another thing about the good creator God who wants to be in a relationship with us. It shows us another cool and powerful thing, and that is this. It's that he is gracious, It's that he's gracious. Uh, Let me show you what I'm talking about. Flip over to Genesis chapter three, verses twenty-two through twenty-four. All right, Genesis chapter three, verses twenty-two through twenty-four says this. Then the Lord said, "Right." Then the Lord God said, "Look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil." What if they reach out and take the fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed a mighty cherubim to the east of the garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now look, don't you just feel the love after reading that? Right? Don't you see our good relational God showing us how gracious he is? I'm getting some confused looks, right? right? You're, you're thinking, Andrew, man, God kicking Adam and Eve out of the garden and choosing an angel with a flaming sword to be a bouncer does not bring about feelings of grace, let me explain, because this is, this is so powerful. This is one of my favorite things in the Word of God. Let me explain. Like the grace, it lies in the mention of, of that other tree. The, the grace lies in God talking about that other tree, the tree of life, God was concerned that if if Adam and Eve remained in the garden, they would eat of that tree as well, and that they would have lived forever. Forever separated from him. It's not that God doesn't want to have that relationship with them because he wants to have that relationship with them, but if they messed up again, sin, missing the mark, it's what it means, he can't be with them. Not that he doesn't want to be with them. It's just that in his core, he is good. He doesn't miss the mark. Right? He doesn't miss the mark, so he can't have that relationship. Right? And so he's worried about them. He's worried that they're going to hopelessly wander in a, a fallen paradise with no hope of redemption or reconciliation with their creator. Right? God didn't banish Adam and Eve from the garden as punishment, but as an act of grace. Right? Maybe... Maybe God was angry, I'm sure he was, right? righteous anger, but maybe he's angry at anything that threatens the people he loves. right? He didn't want to be separated and sin would separate us even more. right? If God not had gotten angry in Genesis 3, we would all be wandering around in a fallen paradise, naked and with no hope. And some of you, I get it, you feel like God is angry at you. I know I do sometimes. You, you feel like you've messed up, that you've done things that, that are unforgivable or that you've fallen f- far short of what, no, what you know you should have done or shouldn't have done. You, you're just confused. And the, the shame of that action feels like anger to you, right? The, the weight of it feels like you've been shunned. And that's a lie. That's a lie. That, that is far from the truth. Sure, there, there is anger there. right? But it is anger that is not directed at you. It is anger that is for you. right? God is angry at the sin and what it does to us. The separation that it causes. The, the, what it does to our, our lives, to the, the people we care about's lives the life that he wants for us, our best life, a life that is in relationship with him, a life that is forged on him because it keeps us from that. But our good, relational, gracious creator does not end the story there. Right? We find yet another glimmer of hope embedded in the curse that God pronounced over the serpent. Over Satan, right? In Genesis chapter three, verse 15, it says this: "And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between you, your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel." Right? Inside this cryptic message, God hinted at a new plan He had in the works.? Right? A way to close the gap of separation that we were in jeopardy of having forever. A day, he's saying, would come when the offspring of the woman would crush the head uh, of the serpent, crush the head of Satan. Someday, somehow, God would send uh, one who would ultimately and completely vanquish the enemy. The, The story was not over, he's saying. You messed up, don't give up, like we talked about in our other series. The story's not over, it's just beginning. Right in the coming weeks, we're going to read and we're going to see that, that God was pointing to the day when Jesus would show up. But that's a story for another week. Right here's, here's how I want to end today. Right, look at this God created a good world to reveal how good He is. That's that's the point. God created a good world to reveal how good he is. Adam and Eve, they they doubted the goodness of God and traded paradise for a lie. Then hell came to earth. (laughs) Pain, disease, destruction, and despair were unleashed into human history. All, All of us, no matter how old we are or where we come from, have experienced these things. All of us are, are walking around with unexplained hurts and unanswered questions. And Genesis 3 tells us where they came from. Now does this adequately address all the questions that we have? Maybe after reading for the very first time the, those three chapters in the story those, that covers those sections of Scripture? No. No. Doesn't adequately address all the questions we have, but we can answer what might be the most important question. All right, where is God when everything is falling apart? Where is he? He is there. He's there. You see, after Adam and Eve make the biggest mistake in history, literally, they are naked and afraid. And we read what it says in verse 8 of chapter 3 when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. <laughs> For the, the first time in their lives, they were naked and cold. And, were, and where was God? Where was their Lord? He was there. He was there in the garden with them all along. All right, the answer to the, the questions that come up when, when we are reading and, and in our life is that God is good and a gracious God who loves being in a relationship with us so much right, that he comes into the garden after the mess and he gives us a new hope. He gives us a new hope. He is there ready to cover, to protect, and to throw a new twist into the tale. He's he's ready to forge a new way forward, a good way forward, a gracious way forward. I'm going to have Christina and Joshua to come back up. And we're gonna stand and we're gonna sing another song to this good creator who, who, is, who is just unbelievably creative, who's good, who's relational, and who's gracious. I go ahead and, and stand right now and as we sing, remember that in this long story, in the pages of our Bible, it begins with both the author and the protagonist and he lets us know that he is both good gracious, relational, and that he's creator of all things. So let's sing praises of honor to him this morning.